Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. Welcome back. Thanks for continuing to listen. Don't forget that we have merch available. You can find all of our pictures on Instagram and on Facebook for that. So we don't really have any business to take care of today. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, so our sources for today are Adelaide Now, News.com.au, Sydney Mooring Herald, Murderpedia, People Pill, TheAge.com.au, ABC News, The Herald Sun, and DailyMail.co.uk. So today we're going to travel to Australia. I actually got this idea yeah. from two different girls on Facebook, um, and I apologize if I mispronounce your names, but um, Rowana and Katie suggested this. So I appreciate the suggestion. Um, I looked it up and I got really entangled in it. So it's a pretty cool story. Nice. We're going <laughs> down under. We're going down under. So we're going to start out by talking about John Bunting, who was born in 1966 in Inala, Queensland, Australia. So as a kid, John was known to burn insects with acid. So, good start. Um, at age eight, John was sexually assaulted by a friend's older brother. And by his teenage years, he considered himself a neo-Nazi. Yeah, not cool. Fantastic, <laughs> I know. So, at age 22, John began working at a slaughterhouse, which he used to brag about because he found killing animals very um, fulfilling, which is interesting. Of course he does. <laughs> I know. So, you know, already very alarming. So in December of 1991, at age 25, John moved to Salisbury North with his wife at the time, Suzanne Allen. He actually was married. Um, it was then that he met Robert Wagner and his cross-dressing partner, Barry, who also went by Vanessa Lane. So they lived nearby and they introduced themselves to John. Now, Barry and Robert had begun dating in 1985. At the time, Barry was 30 years old, and Robert was only 13. What? Yeah, so just keep that in mind when we're talking about this. So, 13. yeah. So on October, nope, on August. <laughs> there you go, lying again. All I do is lie. <laughs> I know. It's written right in front of me, and I can't even. So... <laughs> On the 31st of August of 1992, John decided to target Clinton Trezise. He was a 22-year-old man who John accused of being a pedophile. So um, let me just point out that this entire episode is going to have a lot of triggers. Um, just be cautious. Anytime you hear a name, <laughs> so like every two seconds, there's going to be like a trigger warning, okay? Um, so... John hit Clinton over the head with a hammer until he died, which is horrifying. With so, John accused him of being a pedophile, but John was a pedophile himself, technically? John is not the one who was dating oh. um, Robert. That was Barry. Okay, 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 okay. Yes, you will see a lot of irony in this later on as it continues, but Barry is our technical pedophile already okay. so john targeted and john was sexually assaulted so for him pedophilia is like a huge deal which i'll talk a little bit about later but gotcha. um so 
he hit him over the head with a hammer, and with the assistance of Robert and Barry, they buried Clinton in a shallow grave in Lower Light, which is a suburb of Adelaide. So we're in um, southern Australia. Okay. So he was found on the 16th of August, 1994, which is just short of a year later. And it would be three years before John would feel the urge to kill again. So this is the very first time that he's struck. So in early 1994, he became entangled in the life of Elizabeth Harvey. Um, there are going to be two Elizabeths in the story, so I'm going to use the last names every time. Um, Elizabeth Harvey was a single mother of teenage children. So John and Suzanne had since divorced, um, and John and Elizabeth married shortly after, and he took a liking to her 14-year-old son, James Vlasicus. So... John began to fill James's head with hatred of pedophiles and gays. And um, James, like, found John to be a father figure for the first time in his life that he had been longing for. So to him, like, hearing this was very influential. And at age 15, James actually moved in with John. And he got entangled in the web of hatred that John had. And he actually had, like, an entire wall in his guest room. And it was one of the ones with, like, the different... um. He called it a spider wall and it was post-it notes interwoven with wool string <laughs> and it so, was like detective thing. Yes. Okay. Like connecting all these different people and stuff like that. Um, but it had names of alleged pedophiles and homosexuals. Oh shit. <laughs> which is a crazy thing to have in a spare bedroom. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. walking in on that? But hey, come look at my spider wall. All, all these alleged pedophiles <laughs> in my neighborhood. Oh my god. I know. And I just kind of, I tried looking into like kind of where he got these names from. And it's not entirely clear. <laughs> so I'm like, do you, <laughs> where is this coming from? It, it was probably like hearsay like stories that he probably heard from people or something like it that. It very well could have been. And it just, so he has this crazy wall and James is a young 15 year old, a young impressionable kid. And yeah, he's seeing all this. So fucking great. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was somewhere in this time period also that John befriended Mark Hayden. So on December 26th, after Christmas, 1995, John set his sights on Ray Davies. So Ray was a 26-year-old, and he was actually living in a caravan behind John's ex-wife's house, Suzanne. So Suzanne's house, behind it, there's a caravan. They're not married anymore, but behind there's where Ray lives. So Ray was intellectually handicapped, which is going to be a theme here. It kind of actually, <laughs> now that I say that, and maybe I shouldn't bring this up yet because I've only told you about this being his second victim, but it kind of seems like his theme is a little bit more on intellectually handicapped than it is on gays and pedophiles. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, just something. No, not good, but. <laughs> no, I mean, either way, it's terrible and there's no need for it, but as we have it. So Ray was alleged to have sexually abused Suzanne's grandkids, which is why he targeted them because again, hates pedophiles. So Elizabeth Robert, oh, this is Elizabeth Harvey. So this is um, the woman that he is um, doing the thing with. <laughs> Currently married to. <laughs> this is James's <laughs> mother. 
So Elizabeth Robert John bombarded Ray in his home. So they strangled him. And Ray was then put into a bathtub, hit in the groin with a pole, and then beat to death. He didn't have anybody close to him, so he was not reported missing. And so John was able to collect welfare checks that he received because he was intellectually handicapped. Um, And this continued for many years. And so what they did is they took him and they buried him in John's old backyard in Salisbury North, which is not a very clever place to bury somebody. No, definitely not. (laughs) Literally, do bury them in your backyard. I know. Oh, no, but it's my old house. (laughs) (laughs) What? So fucking stupid. Anyways. So, and what sucks is that, like, he, that, I mean, it worked. It worked for him. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I know. Um, I mean, talk about, like, scamming the system. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, too. Years. I couldn't find if anybody was, like, currently living in that house. <laughs> but I just, like, imagine, like, there's, like, a family living there, you know, married couple and like their two kids and their dog and the dog's like going outside because somebody just buried a literal dead body in the backyard fuck that (laughs) did you know that there's this thing um this website that you can go on and you can type in like an address like if you're buying a home or renting a home and then you can figure out like if any crimes happened in that home what yes i forgot what it's called but um the moment I find a house, a new house to rent, I'm going to do that. That way I make sure I don't buy a house where somebody died in. Oh my god, that's insane. Look that up so that we can let everybody know. I'm sure people want to know about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Because, you know, I ain't moving in to a place where anybody died in. Sorry, not happening. <laughs> huh, interesting. So, anyways, um, in November of 1996, Suzanne Allen would fall to her death. She was 47 years old. So, nobody would be charged for her murder, however, due to lack of evidence. So, John and Robert claim that Suzanne had a heart attack. So, they dismembered her body and buried her. They, okay. <laughs> they put... I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. That's not funny. <laughs> like, nothing about that's funny. It's just like... <laughs> they're like, like, yeah. That's it. Go. Like... Oh, well, she died of a heart attack, but let me just chop her up real quick. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? And um, they put her dismembered remains in 11 different garbage bags and buried them next to, like, where Ray was in the backyard. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, I just was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, um, but so, I do not know what actually happened to Suzanne because... Nobody admits to anything. That's the story they stick to. And they later are not charged with her murder. They just, like, really strangely disposed of her body. Um, Like, you, you, like people, you do know that, like, if somebody has a heart attack, you can call the police and, like, they will gather them, right? <laughs> like, right. You don't have to go to the extreme and chop them up. They'll be okay. Like, they'll run a test <laughs> to see what happens. They'll perform all kinds of things in the autopsy. I'm like, yeah, she did die of a heart attack. The end. You can't go to jail for giving somebody a heart attack. I don't think at least. (laughs) Yeah. So who, I mean, unfortunately we won't know what actually happened to Suzanne. Um, That really, I can't imagine being her family. 
Like, it's been like, wait, what did you do? To wh- Why? <laughs> what? Why? Maybe I wanted to have a funeral with an open casket and you ruined those chances. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, okay. So that's awesome. Um, so Mark's wife, this is a different Elizabeth, had a sister named Jody. Now, Jody was also intellectually handicapped. Now, Jody impersonated Suzanne to collect Social Security. So, at this point also, Robert and Barry had just broken up. Okay. So, they broke up. Jody's impersonating Suzanne. So, and that's just another thing. It's like, okay, so if you're having somebody impersonate her and you dismembered her body, like, I can't believe that they didn't convict him for this. There were people on the jury who was like, no, no, not for Suzanne. They were like, no, there's not enough evidence pointing to him actually having having done it. And I'm like, but okay, but (laughs) you're stealing her money afterwards. You dismembered her body. You buried it. Like, I'm sorry. There's a lot of fingers that I can point. (laughs) Right. What the fuck? Yes. Okay. So that's just a by the way. So she, you know. I'm including her in there, obviously, because I think that, you know, it's suspect. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, suspect. Mm-hmm. so in September of 1997, John set his sights on his next victim, which would be Michael, who also went by Michelle Gardner. He was 19 years old. He was a cross-dresser, a homosexual, and very OCD. So John and Robert stood him upright and strangled him to death. So, like, choked him standing up. What? Yeah. But why? <laughs> so, because they, because he was a homosexual and a crossdresser. You know, the reason no, that people kill people. I don't, that's the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, just let him live his life. Exactly. But, like, my thing is, like, why would you stand him up and just strangle him while he's standing? I don't, I don't know. It seems a lot more personal to me that way. Yeah, I guess so. I don't don't know. (laughs) So they then proceeded to put his body in a barrel of hydrochloric acid. So they had to actually remove his foot so that he would fit in there. Now, Where are they getting all this acid from? What the fuck? (laughs) It's actually not that hard to get hydrochloric acid. Oh, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. The I mean, it, yeah. So, yeah, that happens. So they put his body in this barrel. This is when he's already dead, though. So, at least they're not trying to, like, drown him in acid. That does not happen. And I did not realize until right the second that that is a new fear of mine. <laughs> that would be drown in acid? <laughs> Can you drown in acid? Please don't do that. <laughs> no, no, I don't even want to like be near acid. How about that? Yeah, good call. Hard fat. <laughs> so Jody's son. Remember, Jody is Mark's wife's sister. <laughs> so her son, which is Mark's nephew, his name is Frederick Brooks, and he's also intellectually handicapped. Well, he went on to impersonate Michael for a brief period because he was intellectually handicapped and he was getting different kinds of government help. So, Mark also helped dispose of this body. So, 
In October of 1997, Barry had most recently been dating an 18-year-old. Now, I want to remind you, before I confuse myself, in 1985, he was 30 years old, which means that in 1997, he'd be 47. No, he'd be 42. I'm an idiot. (laughs) He's dating an 18-year-old. So, <laughs> damn it, I just realized I did that math and looked stupid into the next line in my notes. <laughs> okay. Because okay, I just agreed with you when you did. <laughs> Y'all, I'm a liar. Get over it. So, Barry was dating an 18-year-old. The 18-year-old's name was Thomas Trevelin. So, Barry's 42, hardcore pedophile. Um, Robert confided in John that, and Robert's the one who was dating Barry when they met, that Barry had actually raped him. So, which, I mean, no matter which way you, you know, look at it, he was 13 at the time that they met. So, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's 100%. That's true. So, with Thomas's help, and Thomas, again, is the one that Barry's now dating, um, the men showed up at Barry's home. So they forced Barry to call his mom and tell her he was moving to Queensland and that he didn't want anything to do with her. So Robert proceeded to strangle him. The men squeezed his toes with pliers and they wrapped his body in a carpet. They placed him in a barrel with Michael. So for a brief time, they were able to collect welfare payments on Barry And Mark helped dispose of his body as well. So there's a lot of people involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I had a new fear of getting my toes, like, held with pliers. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, (laughs) it's a very specific, weird thing to do. Like, it's never even occurred. When I read that, I was like, oh, God, what? I know. Like, my toes just curled up because I was like, no. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. (laughs) Um, So, and like I just said, I mean, there's a lot more people getting involved in this now. So, on November 5th, 1997, Thomas, who, you know, they didn't know really well, starts to talk. So, he told people about Barry's murder. Now, (laughs) let me just say, if you're going to murder somebody and you're going to help people do that, why the fuck would you tell people? Exactly. Like, shut your big fucking trap. <laughs> like, clearly they have no problem. Like, right. murdering people. Why would you then talk about it and think that you are not going to be a target? Exactly. Like, like I mean... Because I'd be wanting to tell everybody what I did, and then I'd probably get murdered for telling everybody. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're... First of all, if you're going to help somebody murder somebody, just don't. Let's start right there. But if for whatever reason you become involved in that, don't fucking tell people unless you go to the police. Like, do not just start, like, gossiping about this person you murdered. You're an idiot. Right. That's like if I did it, I'd come on here and be like, oh, hey, guys, it just uh, helped Valerie hide this body. But anyways. Anyways, what's up? (laughs) So, on November 5th of 1997, John and Robert brought Thomas to a tree and tied a noose around his neck. So, they had him stand in a box and they kicked it out from under him. 
And Thomas's death was ruled a suicide because he was known to be schizophrenic and have hallucinations. And he had previously told people that he thought that the Grim Reaper was after him. So he was found the same day and was ruled a suicide. So, yep. So James began doing hard drugs, which included heroin. And he moved in with another avid drug user named Gavin Porter. So Gavin was collecting government benefits at the time called Centrelink benefits, which I'm sure means something to people who are from Australia who are listening. So John had pricked himself on a used syringe laying on the couch at the guys' home. Which, like, pick up your syringes, dude. What the fuck's the matter with you? Right, or at least fucking cap them. Like, how hard is it to fucking use it and put the cap on it seriously i know and let me just say too if anybody for whatever reason if you're using drugs or if you have needles in your home like you can put it in a coke bottle and that way it doesn't like because like don't just throw needles in your trash and i know that sharps containers for whatever reason are expensive like put it in a coke bottle or in a pretzel container they hold pretty well in like peanut containers too and like (laughs) put like don't just leave shit on the couch that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard but anyway so needless to say john was pretty pissed about that i would be too (laughs) yep he also thought that gavin was just a complete waste of space and a waste of life so in april of 1998 gavin was on methadone and he was working on his car one afternoon when he passed out in the back seat because of the effects of the methadone so john and robert took this opportunity to strangle him to death and his body was placed in an acid-filled barrel. So Mark helped move his body into this barrel and dispose of him. So James confided in John that when he was 13 years old, his half-brother, Troy Yude, who was 16 at the time, sexually assaulted him. There's a lot of sexual assault going on in here. Right. I know. So John decided in August of 1998 that James deserves to get revenge. So they broke into Troy's home, who was now 21, and they handcuffed him while he was sleeping. They dragged him to the bathroom where James made him apologize to him. Which, fine. End it there. You know what I mean? Right. Scare the shit out of him. Like, like I get what they're trying to do, but they're they're going about it the wrong way. Like, I know we we all agree that they should have got justice for being abused. But you don't go putting people in acid baths and shit. You just can't. Right. Like, how about just, like, that's too far. Yeah. <laughs> and also, all these people that he alleges are pedophiles and stuff. Like, It's like, okay, well, what if they're not? Exactly. Like, it's, it's different, like, when you know, like, what happened to you. But if the right. other, like, you can't prove that the other people that you're murdering are pedophiles, then you're just killing people just to fucking kill people. Right. He just makes himself seem like kind of a vigilante hero when it's like, well, not exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, they forced him to record himself saying he was going to Perth, which is in Western Australia. So the men hit him with planks and jack handles, and they squeezed his toes with pliers. They wrapped him in garbage bags, and they temporarily stored him in a shed before they moved him to an acid-filled barrel, which Mark helped them with again. 
So in September of 1998, this is getting significantly closer together. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the dates, but these events are getting closer and closer. Yes. So John set his sights on Frederick. So Frederick was 18 and John believed him to be a pedophile. Now remember, Frederick is the one who helped impersonate Michael and is Mark's nephew. So at the time the men acquired a variac machine, which is used to give electric shocks. I don't know where the fuck you can get one of those, but right. Yeah. So they handcuffed and gagged Frederick before, and this is, I mean, this one, in my opinion is the worst. So I'm just going to give a specific trigger warning for this. So they handcuffed and gagged him. They gave electric shocks to his genitals. They pushed a burning sparkler into his penis They burned him with cigarettes and they squeezed his toes with pliers. They beat him to death before wrapping him in plastic and putting him in the trunk of a car. And they kept him in a shed before moving him to an acid filled barrel. They had him record himself saying that he was molesting young girls. At the time, Jody filed a missing persons report. Remember that's his mother. So, but Mark's wife, Elizabeth, the Elizabeth who did not assist in a murder earlier um, claimed to have gotten a call from him. And so Jody dropped the missing persons report. And because Frederick was disabled, the men were able to collect welfare checks for him and Mark helped dispose of the body. So, so can I just say, you know, and I don't know, if people are going to disagree with me, but can I just say their methods of torture are okay with me, but for actual pedophiles, <laughs> <laughs> like people who have been proven to be pedophiles, <laughs> like I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I obviously do not have a penis, but that made me kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit. Like, you know, we we said on the last episode, like, castrate them. But no, why don't we just shove a sparkler in their penis? Mm. (laughs) No, I can't second that. I'm not okay with that, even with pedophiles. I think just, you know, (laughs) just let happen to them what's going to happen to them in jail. I'm just all for the torture. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that being said, we do not know that Frederick was a pedophile. (laughs) Yeah, no. That's for Frederick, but their methods of torture, I believe, should be used on pedophiles, just saying. But anyway, <laughs> proceed. <laughs> so, Gary O'Dwyer was the next, men's next victim. Hello. I can't. Oh, let me start over. So, Gary O'Dwyer was the men's next victim. I don't know why that's like a tongue twister for me right now. So, in October of 1998, the men targeted him because he was an acquaintance of James's, and they knew that he was receiving welfare checks from a previous car accident. John saw him as weak and an easy target. So, here we go again. Like, this dude, who, I'm, I'm sorry, so you're killing pedophiles and homosexuals, which, first of all, I mean, don't even get me started on the homosexual thing. Like, that has nothing to do with being a bad person. Right. Like, I agree that pedophiles are bad people, but I'm not with you on, I'm not with you on the homosexuals or the crossdressers. Like, just let it be. Um, it doesn't, like, it doesn't hurt you. Just let it happen. So, and like this dude, he's just preying on because he's weak. It's like, okay, so you're not a vigilante killer. Like, just fucking say it. Right. (laughs) Right. So James invited him over and the men all had drinks. 
and Robert snuck up behind Gary and handcuffed him before he could react. He was taken into the kitchen, beaten with a belt, and given electric shocks. He was only 29 years old. He was put in the barrel, and men collected his welfare checks. The men, not just regular men. <laughs> I'm just tired of this fucking barrel. <laughs> there, Yeah, there's more barrels. Don't you worry. So, Mark helped dispose of this body also. So, on November 21st of 1998, John targets Mark's wife, which again is Jody's sister, Elizabeth Hayden. Okay. This is not Elizabeth Harvey, who he was earlier entangled with, who's James's mother. Different Elizabeth. Okay. She was 37 years old. Robert hated her. And John thought she was a whore. Not a good enough reason to kill somebody. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. There's plenty of whores out there, but I don't want them dead. <laughs> right. And also, where are these allegations coming from? Like, there's no... And it's Mark's fucking wife. So, I'm sorry, you're just going to kill your friend's wife now? Right. Is she a whore because she didn't want to sleep with you? Maybe? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> so, the two men strangled her to death. Elizabeth pleaded for her life, telling them that if they wanted sex, they could have it, thinking that that's why they're coming after her. So, which I, I just, ugh, I hate that. I hate it. So, they told her friends and family that she ran off with another man and that she wasn't coming back. Her body was put in a barrel. And Elizabeth's brother reported her missing on November, and on November 26th of 1998, the investigation began. So, this is five days after this happened and the police found the men to be very suspicious and they were questioned extensively because you know this is just a normal ass woman married right. to mark who ha who's hanging around these couple guys who like seem kind of sketch mm -hmm. so this is when like kind of an alarm sets off the police not about necessarily the series of things that have been happening because again a lot of these people they don't even know we're missing mm -hmm. but nobody believes that elizabeth just ran off with another man which also makes me think that she wasn't actually a whore right exactly if that's so that if that is so unbelievable to people right so the police are starting to lurk around and the men knew that they were closer to getting caught so Mark decides to rent a disused bank in January of 1999. So the bank is in Snowtown, which is 140 kilometers, which is about 87 miles north of Adelaide. So Snowtown has a population of 467 people, super small. And they thought because it's this sleepy town, it'd be the perfect location to hide their victims, which theoretically, I guess, makes sense. And they moved the barrels into a vault inside of this bank. So... The what do you think about them going to that small town to hide it? Does that make sense to you, or is that stupid to you? About to say like I didn't know you could even rent like a bank just randomly without any big <laughs> business that you're gonna do. But apparently, I, I don't think that was very smart. Um, because I feel like with a small town, everybody's kind of in everybody's business. So, like, that pr would present more, like, opportunities for people to be kind of snooping around and trying to figure out what the fuck you're doing. And then seeing you with these fucking barrels. And then not seeing you, like, just seeing you bring them in and never take them out. And then, yeah, no. Cool. Good prediction. So, no, really. So, <laughs> the cops being onto them didn't mean that they were done killing either. 
So on May 9th of 1999, the men targeted James's half-brother, David Johnson, who was 24 years old. So John called him a word that starts with an F that is very derogatory that people say towards gays. I hate that word. I don't see the reason ever to use it. Um, Even though David wasn't a homosexual. So here we go again. And um, he wanted him dead. So David was looking for a computer and James told him that he knew of one at a good price in Snowtown. So once there, David was ambushed. He was handcuffed and beaten. And they forced David's ATM card pin out of him before they strangled him with his own belt. So David gave a fake pin, which I kind of appreciate. (laughs) Um, So they weren't able to get any money out of his account. And before they dismembered him and placed his body in a barrel, they removed pieces of his flesh and John and Robert fried and ate it. Oh, you motherfuckers. Now you're cannibals? It is escalating. Only the two of them ate it, supposedly. Things are dramatically escalating. Now we're killing people who are not pedophiles or homosexuals, who are, like, not even, like, allegedly. Like, they just literally just aren't. Yeah. And now we're eating them. Fantastic. So the police planted an audio recorder at Mark Hayden's house that would aid in finding the bodies at this point in time. So, because they're concerned about Elizabeth. So, remember how I said that Snowtown was incredibly small and you gave that lovely <laughs> prediction about everybody's and everybody's business? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's the type of small where everybody knows everybody. And people noticed activity going on at the abandoned bank. So, they saw a lot of things being moved into the bank. And eventually, somebody called the police to report it. Nice. So, on May 20th of 1999, the police found six barrels with eight persons' remains inside. And they also found a completely horrifying scene. They saw blood-stained saws, ropes, knives, tape, gloves, cloth, a double-barrel shotgun, and the Variac shot machine. But the best part <laughs> is that the remains inside the barrels, so the men filled it with hydrochloric acid, right? Mm-hmm. They thought it was going to dissolve the bodies. Yeah. Well, hydrochloric acid actually just mummifies bodies. <laughs> oh, great. Nice. So none of the bodies were dissolved, which is, I mean, which is good news for us. But, but still, they're such idiots. Right. I'm like, really? You guys fucked that little thing up? Like, that's kind of hilarious. But so they were also able to link the murders of Clinton and Thomas to the men. And they discovered the bodies of Ray and Suzanne in John's former backyard in Salisbury North. So the men claimed to be, quote, pedophile killing vigilantes. And they killed 11 people, most of which were not gay and not pedophiles. And collectively, they gathered a total of over $95,000 in benefits from impersonating their victims. Damn. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That is a lot of fucking money. Yeah. And they were referred to as the Snowtown murders, even though only one murder, the very last one, actually occurred in Snowtown. And that's just because of all these barrels that were being hidden in Snowtown. So, Uh. yep. In 2001, Elizabeth Hardy, who was the one who assisted in Ray Davies murder who John who's James's mother who 
John was entangled with, she died of cancer, 2001. Oh, damn. So she would never be charged of assisting in a murder. I don't know that she would have been, but she never got charged for anything. So Robert and John were tried together, and three jury members actually had to withdraw from the case because of the horrors of the evidence that was provided. I mean, can I just say, when it's my time for jury duty, I'm going to... I'm be in there. Like, nothing that they show is going to make me leave. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like... So, I've been called in for jury duty. Well, no. I've gotten notices for jury duty, but I have never actually been called in to go. And I just feel like I would get stuck with the most boring thing in the world and have to keep going back. I know, right? Like, that would be super disappointing. But I'm like... I've never gotten any notices or anything, but I'm ready. I'm fucking ready. (laughs) (laughs) You've never gotten a notice to be summoned? You've never been summoned? Never. I wonder if that's a thing in other countries. Hey, international listeners, let us know. Do you get called in for jury duty? Is that a thing there? Like, we get called in and you have to go. And they ask you questions to make sure that you're, like, technically qualified to be there. Like, And then they select X amount of people to be on the jury. And then you make a decision about the case, whether the person's, like, guilty or not guilty. I'm assuming they have that everywhere. Because right. in other countries, like, even here... That was just the dumbest thing I've ever said because they have juries here. But is that how your juries are chosen is my question. Like, I know that you have juries. <laughs> so, um, there was uh, a comedian. He did a joke about jury duty. And like you said, like, they call you in and you go there. And then, like, they ask you questions like, have you heard of the case? Right. Uh-huh. What do you do about it? Do you know this person? Da, da, da. And he was, like, the dude that was... Um, being prosecuted he was like a tatted up like cholo looking guy and the the um the dude's lawyer was like look at this man do you believe he's innocent or guilty he's like he looks like he's fucking guilty look at him of what <laughs> i don't know because he looked like a gang member that's what he said and then they kicked him out and he didn't have to do jury duty Oh, my God. So that's the way to get out of jury duty. I feel like it would be super easy to get out of. But I do wonder if they select it the same way in other countries, which is just literally fucking random. Right. (laughs) So let us know. For sure. That's funny, though. So the trial lasted 11 months. It called on 227 witnesses, and it cost $15 million. Which I don't really know what you spend money on during trials. Not to be an idiot. I mean, obviously, there's like attorneys and, you know, court fees and the judge. And I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't know where all that came from. But that's how much it costs. And it was one of the largest trials in Australia. I mean, I believe it. Look at all the people that were involved. Like, so many people. It's all, when I started reading this, I'm like, oh, okay. So there's this person, this person. I'm like, wait, but this person helped with this and this person. Like, every single person is entangled in some way. Right, like you need one of those yard map things to point. To <laughs> I need a spider wall. <laughs> yeah, that thing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and that's kind of basically. I mean, you should have seen the kind of um, way that I was organizing this because I'm very organized, which I've told you all before. But like, so I was writing down the names where they ended up, who they were involved in, and who they were related to, and then I had to put them in order. <laughs> and I was like, this is a fucking mess. <laughs> yes, because it, it is. It. It's a, it's a complete cluster. So John Bunting was initially charged with 12 counts of murder. But as I previously mentioned, Suzanne's death resulted in a hung jury. So on September 8th of 2003, 
he ended up pleading guilty to 11 counts of murder, and he was sentenced to 11 life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was only 37 years old. So Robert Wagner, who was 31 at the time, was sentenced to seven life sentences without the possibility of parole for seven counts of murder on September 8th of 2003. So they could only convicted him for seven. So Mark Hayden, who was 47 at the time, who assisted in moving the remains of seven people, Gavin, Barry, Michael, Gary, Troy, Frederick, Elizabeth. He, um... So in February 2006, he was sentenced to 25 years, 18 of which were going to be non-paroled. So in 2017, he applied for early parole, but he actually got denied. But he'll be eligible for parole in 2025. I mean, I'm glad he got denied, but... Me too. I don't think he should be able... He should be eligible for parole. I just don't... I wish that I knew for sure that his involvement was only helping move the bodies. Exactly. You never know. Like, so many people's hands were in the fucking cookie jar at this right. point. You never know what exactly he did and didn't do. Exactly. And then lastly, there's James Vlasicus, who was only 22 at the time of all this. Because remember, he was a child. And he was initially charged with five counts of murder, but he pleaded guilty only to four. Troy, Frederick, David, and Gavin. In July 2002, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 26 years. So he was cooperative with the investigation and he actually testified on the others about all of the crimes. So he will be eligible for parole in 2025. I mean, I guess it's a good thing that he assisted, but still, no. But still, he gets to apply for parole after 26 years? That's nuts. Yeah. No, that's bullshit. But that's the way that, you know, these systems work because otherwise they don't have anything on the other guys. I mean, they do. They found all the bodies. But, like, for somebody to testify like that makes it an easy charge against these people. Or, like, okay, well, this guy was a kid when this happened. Let's make him, you know what I mean? Because the thing, too, when when this started, he was 15 years old. So. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's the story of these Snowtown murders. Fucking nuts, huh? Fucking crazy. I know. But I'm so glad that they were stupid, like I am, and thought any kind of anything with the word acid in it would melt bodies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do love that. And also stupid enough to, you know, drive 180 kilometers, however far, 147 kilometers, I forget, whatever, to Snowtown and be like, oh, this is fine. This is far enough. We're in a middle, like a little desolate area. And, you know, this is how we get away with it. Like, no, that's how you get caught. Congratulations. Right, dumbass. <laughs> I know. So cheers to the person who called the cops because, like, this is weird yes. as fuck. Good for you for being nosy. The yeah. one time it actually works out. I mean, for real, if somebody looks like they're doing something sketchy and they're moving barrels, it's sketchy. Yeah. Be a Karen. Call the cops. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, they go there for no reason. Like, that's yeah, totally that's fine. True. Yeah. Be an asshole. I'd rather be safe than sorry. Exactly. So good for those people who called but yeah so that's the story of the snowtown murders um lots of victims who again not actually pedophiles and gays it's just stupid it's fucking ridiculous so much of senseless murders basically yeah so those guys can go straight to hell 
as far as I'm concerned. They should get tortured the way they tortured the one Jew. I mean, you know what? They might be. <laughs> we don't know what's happened. I don't know what prison's like in Australia. Somebody tell us. <laughs> but. Yeah, let us know. Or in your different countries, let us know like what it's like to be in prison. Right, exactly. We want to know. We want to compare. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed that international story. And yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye. So today's story was submitted by Christiana. And it goes like this. When I was 21, we won't talk about how long ago that was. I went to stay the night with a friend from work at the time. When I got there, we went to dinner and she wanted to go see her boyfriend and for me to meet him. So we went to his house. We all hung out with him and his roommates for about two hours. Then her and her boyfriend went to his room and left me with his roommate. Which, how fucking rude. Right. I can't stand when that happens. I know. Fuck you. I know. <laughs> uh, we sat and talked outside for a bit. She had driven and I didn't have a way back to my car to leave. At about 1 a.m., I thought about just calling a cab because this was way before Uber, and he said it was too late for him to drive me home. I didn't know who to call, and I was scared to call my parents, so I just fell asleep on the couch. Not smart. I know. Nothing bad happened, thank God. But I woke up, and my friend was gone. I called her eight times to come get me, and she finally answered. They were out to breakfast, and she said they would come back when they were done. What an asshole! Right. That reminds me of something that happened to me, but go ahead. (laughs) Two hours later, she came back and took me to my car and I went home immediately. Her and I weren't friends after that because I couldn't believe she would leave me in that situation. It could have ended so badly and very differently, but thank goodness it didn't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is a bad friend alert. I'm glad that you were smart enough to pull away from that friendship after that. That's fucking bullshit. I'd be pissed. Yeah, for sure. Um, That reminds me of like, so like when I turned 18, I worked in, like, this um, kind of, like, a factory-type setting. And uh, I met this girl that was around the same age as me. And she had some, like, a guy friend that went to um, a college in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh-huh. And they were having, like, this college party. So, like, uh, we had graduated high school and stuff. And we were both in community college. So... They just said we need to bring our IDs. So we made the trip up there and I didn't know anybody, but they, he lived in like his own apartment with like another two other guys and we were all hanging out and we were supposed to go to the college party, but then she forgot her ID. (laughs) So then we couldn't go. So we stayed there. So this bitch, she left me and went into the room and she was in that room with him the whole fucking time. And, like, I, like, fell asleep out in the living room. I didn't know who the hell these people were. They were going in and out. And, like, the rest of them, they left and went to the party. And they came back and they had, like, girls with them and stuff. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And, like, after that, like, we, it was such an awkward drive back back from Virginia to uh, North Carolina. Like, I never spoke to her after that. Good. I'm glad that you decided not to be your friend because she sounds like an asshole. Yeah, I was like, you bitch. I was like, we drove all the way over here for you to fucking leave me. And, like, I don't know who the fuck these people are. Okay, whatever. Right. Like, people who do that to you are not your friends. No, not at all. 
So just in case anybody's ever questioning whether or not somebody respects them or cares about their safety, like this situation is a hard no. If somebody takes you somewhere and is willing to leave you with a group of people that you do not know, they're not your friend. Definitely. And I should have left her bitch ass there, but I didn't. But it's easy not to. See, that's the thing is it's easy to just make excuses and to, at the time, and to say it's fine, everything's fine, you know, but one time that might not be. So, mm. crazy. Well, thanks, Christiana, for submitting your story and Jasmine for, you guys, you guys both have shitty friends. <laughs> Whoa, fuck her. That's not my friend anymore. She's True. A little bitch. But anyways, that's a, another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Good on both of you for realizing that they are not actually your friends and for leaving the situation. That is our lesson of the day. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.